Welcome to the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas, with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. Welcome to the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast. We appreciate you tuning in to episode 42, our first episode of 2018. Ryan, how's the new year coming, buddy? Man, it's going great, going great. Down here, Josh, um, for some reason you're not here, but I'm down here at R&D Pipe Company. We are happy to announce they are the sponsor for January. And so we're doing our first ever remote with R&D Pipe Company, and the the folks are sitting in here staring at me as I'm recording this podcast. So it makes it a little awkward for me, but we'll persevere, Josh. And <laughs> a little bit about R&D. They're a Texas corporation uh, which was founded in 1998, specializing in old country tubular goods, or OCTG, and related services. They're an experienced distributor for domestic and foreign OCTG, handling world-class API-approved SMLS and ERW steel casing and tubing. They maintain a comprehensive industry uh, inventory rather of casing and tubing strategically located throughout Texas and Oklahoma, which makes them a perfect sponsor for this show. And so we're very, very thankful for them. Um, Josh, I, I gotta say, I was down here in Houston all week and someone said, Hey, uh, that Josh guy, why doesn't he ever work? And so Josh, the people are curious, what, you know, when are you going to work? When are you going to do something? When can they see you? Because I'm out amongst the people meeting them and, uh, we can't get to see, can't see your face anywhere. Man, this is, uh, I think that's the third time someone has actually bought in all your garbage about me not, <laughs> not working, man. This is, it's getting, uh, it's getting hilarious, man. Well, I mean, it's, it's kind of like that old adage, Josh. Have you seen me and Batman in the same room? You know, it's, you know I, could, I could be Batman. You know, no one's seen you outside of uh, the beach. And so that's just how it goes. But before we get in the show, we got a few things we want to cover today. Um, first off, Instagram. I think this show might be streaming live on Instagram. We're waiting to see if that's going to happen. I'm actually looking at my Instagram feed right now. But Texas Oil & Gas Podcast on Instagram. We have giveaways and all kinds of stuff that will be coming up in January and February. And so be sure to check us out on Instagram. Ratings and reviews and iTunes. You want to help the show? That is the best way to do it. Josh and I love presents like that. Five star or higher is what we prefer. prefer. Make sure it's written, folks. Um, we like the stars, but the written aspect of the review really helps us out. Um, NAPE is just around the corner, so if you haven't signed up for NAPE, be sure to do that. Um, NAPE, this NAPE right here is the big boy. It is the you know the top of their products, and so be sure to check out NAPE. It is February 5th through the 9th, I believe. Also, um, Alfonso Colombalo and I have recorded a podcast and talked about our book last night, and it is coming out. Hopefully, we're shooting for March, Josh, and so Oil and Gas Careers book. If you're interested in participating in that um, and being a part of kind of the review launch team, if you will, Ryan at GoldbergMedia.com. Uh, we'd love to get your feedback on the book so you can actually influence the book, what's being written and what's being said. Um, that will be um, a great help to us, and you know you can have you know your sway in a book, and so that that's pretty neat. And so we hope to hear from folks about that. We have a few in a few spots, and Josh, we all have to also talk about last week. I put this on Instagram, but last week we were sat down with Weston Martinez, candidate for um, Texas Railroad Commissioner. We had him on the show, and the audio, which is my fault, I'm re- responsible for the recording, and the audio just just messed up. We thought we had fixed it internally; it messed up, and so um, I wanted to, we wanted to, we apologized to him on Twitter and wherever else. But on the show, I want to apologize to Weston for the audio troubles. He's agreed to come back on, and you know, a couple things about that we want to say that we didn't get this. We said last week. We want to say again, Josh, is that you know this is an endorsement of him or any other candidate. Um, I think you're reaching out to Christy Craddock to have her on as well. 
Sure. It's just we want to get the issues out there for the people to hear. And so um, we apologize that Weston, we asked him, I thought, tough questions, fair questions, hard questions. We'll ask him some of the same, obviously, and we'll ask him some new ones just to kind of mix it up. So apologies about that. Um, but, Josh, I'm excited today. It's our first ever Q&A segment, and so we got some questions we're going to answer, and we also prepared some questions for the folks here at R&D that they're going to answer for us as well. So it should be an exciting show. Yeah, yeah, I've been looking forward to the Q&A. You know, we've been getting questions in for the last two months uh, from folks. So uh, just a reminder for uh, for some of our listeners, send in some questions. We're going to be taking uh, one uh, the first Friday of every month to do a Q&A. So uh, we need more questions if we're going to fill out the year. So uh, we look forward to getting some of those in from you guys. And we're going to we're going to jump into some of those in just a few minutes. Uh Ryan, before we get to those Q&A, you know, we, we'd like to go over a few things, news, things that uh, have, have uh, happened in, the, in in Texas with oil and gas. Uh, obviously, we've recently had some really cold weather, like really, really cold weather. And uh, the it, cool thing for, for natural gas is that it's created a pretty high demand across the nation, and that's been really good for some of the Texas companies. So I have a, a pretty cool article that we're going to put in the show notes uh, about some of the prices and what's happened over the last couple of weeks with natural gas. But uh, moving on to uh, uh, a merger and acquisition, Endeavor uh, recently got some more Permian acreage. Uh, they announced that they were going to uh, acquire the equity of Rangeland or Rangeland Energy uh, LLC. It's a 110-mile crude oil pipeline that they're going to be acquiring primarily, and uh, that should be a, a pretty good move for them. And then we have some uh, stuff in the Eagleford, uh, Penn, Virginia. They are uh, getting, I think they're getting a $86 million bolt-on acquisition. Uh, this is a Houston-based company, and they are going to be getting about 9,700 acres uh, in the Eagleford. So um, huge deal there, something to watch for. I think uh, I think they've, they're going to be a company really trying to make some moves uh, in the Eagleford this year. And uh, last one, Ron, the U.S. Energy Department, uh, they directed $30 million to small oil and gas projects. Some of those are in Louisiana, Mississippi. Uh, but there's a, their, their, their primary funding that they're, they're uh, up, I guess the, the biggest bulk of the money is going to uh, a study at Texas A&M's Engineering Experiment Station. Uh, they're they're, they're going to be researching um, thousands of existing horizontal wells that have undergone fracking to determine which of them can be fracked again. Uh, which is going to tie into a question that we're going to have in a little bit, Ryan, yep, if we yep. get to it today. Yep. Uh, moving right along, uh, Ryan, we're going to go ahead and jump into some of these questions. Uh, John Clements sent us uh, several questions, and we're going to uh, try to try to take these one at a time. We're not going to be able to get to, uh, to all of them this week, but uh, the first question, uh, Ryan, is – how soon do you estimate before fossil fuels are able to be completely replaced by renewables? Decades, millennia, or longer? Yeah, this is a great question, Josh. And so if you listen to Energy Week podcast that, that I do with David Blackman or, or what's David Blackman now, it's Ellen Wald, um, we've talked about this issue before. Um, I am not anti-solar. I'm not anti-renewable. They're just not there yet. And and so the question I was talking with someone yesterday is, is, are we talking five years, 10 years, 20 years? The same very question that someone else asked me. And uh, my opinion is that if you're talking about a 10-year time period, I don't see the battery technology for especially like solar. It's just not there yet. And so I don't think that it's going to be there in the next 10 years. It would take, I don't want to say a miracle, but basically if you, if you say Elon Musk is really smart, a lot of people think he's really smart besides the fact his company doesn't make a lot of money, but let's just say he's really smart. 
And let's say he's one of the smartest people in the world and he's working on this problem and they're struggling. Well, the fact that he can't figure it out and he's not close to figuring it out, that's what kind of gives you, you trouble. So if you're talking about large scale replacement of fossil fuels, especially in places like the U.S., it's nowhere on the horizon. That's not to say that tomorrow we wake up and battery technology is, you know, there's some miracle in development. But the way battery technology is with renewables, especially like solar, it's, uh, it's nowhere on the horizon today. Yeah, you know, and that's that's been my thoughts, Ryan. I just wonder, you know, if there's a breakthrough in research where they find something, um, you know, they, they make some sort of discovery where they can really enhance or become more efficient. You know, some something barring some kind of scientific discovery, right. we're not close well, to replacing. Yeah, and on that, Josh, there's a couple of things. You know, if you think about how battery works now, when you plug your iPhone in for the first time and you charge it fully, that's the best that battery will ever be, right? It, it just mm-hmm. constantly from the end slowly degrades, and over however many years, eventually the iPhone battery goes away. It's the same problem with solar batteries. You know, batteries, you know, they're 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 at the, the best, they're first, and then they eventually you know uh, wear down, um, just like anything else that we have. Um, and so the problem is, I can tell you of a project over in. Um, uh, Dubai, I believe. I, I don't know. I can't remember where it's at now. It's over in the Middle East somewhere. A, a friend of mine was working on it. They went in and put a huge solar farm, put huge batteries up, and then within two years, those batteries were all for nothing. You know, they had to replace the batteries, and so the cost of replacing the batteries was the same as it was installing them. So you had the price to buy them, and then to dispose of them was the same the price to buy them, and then you had to buy more. So you think about that cost and expenditure. It's just not practical on scale. If you're talking about small remote villages in third world countries, there's a lot of application for um, for um, for renewables and even in some uh, maybe like a hospital or something like that but if it's cloudy or if the wind isn't blowing you can't do anything to fix that and that's the issue uh, especially when you don't have good storage so it could happen i was at a battery conference two years ago in zambia and all the talks there you know it it didn't leave me believing that we're close to a breakthrough yeah i I would tend to agree with that uh i I think uh you know where we're at it's more than more than you know just one or two decades which i'm hopeful and i think we should explore those options but i I do believe we're we're still a good ways off and i think uh the key for for everyone is um my takeaway is i mean oil and gas is is the energy that we're going to have to use to do some of the scientific research to develop some of those renewable renewable things right right not against it this is not ready for the mainstream that's right. All right. Question number two. Uh, besides natural gas, are any fossil fuel energy sources being done in Texas? Nuclear, biofuel, for example, and where and to what level versus the main leaders of that source elsewhere? Non-fossil fuels, I think, is the question there, Josh. Not fossil fuels. Non-fossil fuel energy. Um, but yes, to answer the question, so if you you right outside, I live in Granbury, Texas, and so right out right outside of my um, subdivision, there's a nuclear power plant, and so there is stuff like that there. Um, on a recent interview I did at the America First Energy Conference, one of the people there said that solar energy, uh, solar and wind, sometimes can contribute up to 30% of the grid for the state of Texas. Now, on some days, it's 1% or 2%. kind of goes back to the last question. So, yes, there are things that are being done. Also, there is discussion, and I don't know if we're getting this question today, but this will kind of tease it if we don't, about going back to these old wells that have been drilled and using them for geothermal energy. And so that's – I don't know how far they are. I don't, I don't do much geothermal, but that is on the horizon that people – People are looking at that because geothermal is not a cheap source of energy, but you already have the wells that are drilled. You might be able to turn some of those old wells into um, that kind of resource. Awesome. Well, uh, question number three, this is one that we have hit uh, quite a bit, Ryan, with uh, some of the uh, shows that we've done, some of the news that's breaking. It is the pipeline in Mexico. Will that impact anything but positively to Texas companies or is there a negative to it? Loss of work, jobs, personnel, et cetera. 
Yeah, there's no negative that I can see. Um, no negative I can see. So, um, the you know one of the things you have to remember is is that um, just like every everyone wants to, if you want the market to work, then we want the market to work when we can compete in Mexico. And so um, there's issues in Mexico. But if you look at how the division of labor works, Josh, and so if we say, well, we might lose jobs. Well, what jobs are you going to lose? Because, um, you know, if, if you're going to work in Mexico in some areas, you're going to need security personnel, which would create jobs for American contractors that aren't there. So you might lose a pipeline job here, create an American contractor job there. But also the long-term impact, and one of the things on the oil and gas market recap when Alfonso recorded last night, I predicted is we're going to see a lot of 2018 talk about Mexico. We saw some in 2017. I think 2018 is really going to be the year where I don't know I don't know if deals will get done just because of the time it takes to do them. But I think 2018 will be a, um, a good year for talk and uh, deals be inked in Mexico, how much we can actually put in the ground, different discussion. Um, but no, this is good because it's long-term deals. Mexico is at least five to 10 years away before they can ramp up their drilling program. As you mentioned, we talked about this before. They don't have the infrastructure in place, roads, gas stations, power to, you know, to drill. So putting these pipelines down there is a good thing. And also, um, just like with the, pa- the the pipeline we talked about a few months ago, Josh, um, running that pipeline across Mexico instead of going to the Panama Canal, you know, as we begin to work with companies and countries that we normally wouldn't, you're going to find new and cre- creative, innovative ways to do things that you didn't think about before. Right. Yeah. And, you know, looking at everything uh, with the, the pipeline in Mexico, uh, it's obviously really good for Mexico. Um, yeah, that. Looking at it from a Texas company standpoint, I, I'm, I'm with you. I don't see I don't see much negative. Um, you can look at you know, jobs being lost, but again, the division of labor it, it's something that I think is overall a positive uh, will be a positive thing. I think with the Texas will become um, a leader in in supplying uh, oil and gas and energy to Mexico, and and that's only going to be good for Texas uh, in in the long in the long run. Yeah, and Josh, you know, one thing to consider is is that you know, people move to other countries because they want better opportunities. So if you're in a third world country, you're more likely to go to a first world country because you want a better opportunity. You know, how you, how you fix that problem for the third world country is you create jobs there. And so bringing energy to people is a way to create jobs. And so um, I, I think that this is always a good thing. When we look at it, we see that um, there will be jobs that are created in Mexico that aren't there now. And it kind of goes back to this discussion. Just because something replaced something else does not mean that it's all bad and it's all negative. It just means that it's, you know, it's things will change. So I think this is good for Texas, Mexico, um, on, on both sides of the aisle, if you will. All right. Uh, question number four. Um, how does the Gulf of Mexico compare to other similar bodies of water? Um, yeah, I saw this question the, and, the, and I'm not really sure where to take this. There's a lot of ways you could look at that, but I'm not really sure where to take that. at. so if the listeners that sent that in, they could clarify that question. I wasn't really sure, um, what exactly is it talking about depth? Are you talking about available assets? Um, you know, how you buy the leases? There's a lot of ways you could kind of skin that cat, but I'm not really sure uh, the best way to do that. Yep. Uh, so looking at it, uh, we, we I, I got another question that I think um, he mentions uh, some spills. So he has a question here with the Dakota pipeline and now the recent spill. Where do you stand with that? Its impact on the people that live there, its impact to the environment versus how much actual benefit it gives to the companies working the pipeline. Yeah, so let's talk about the spills. So spills happen. They're a part of life. As we said on the show before, um, you know, as oil and gas or energy professionals, we have to take ownership for our failures like we do our successes. So we've got to clean it up. We've got to fix the issues there. Um, but Josh, you know, 
it doesn't mean that you should not stop doing pipelines. For instance, if you want to say, well, more people die in a car wreck, uh, people die in car wrecks, okay? People die in car wrecks all the time. It doesn't mean you're not going to drive to work. Pipelines are still the most safe, the safest and best way to transport um, hydrocarbons. And so we always want to keep using those until we find a better method, which I can't imagine what it would be. So we, we have to do pipelines. It is the only way, you know, I railed on uh, Bernie Sanders a while back because he knows this. People know this. It's the only real option. You, you have no other option at this point. And and uh, it's the most cost-effective way. Uh, going back to the America First Energy Conference, I talked to someone from North Dakota, a former state senator, and one of the problems they had there was all those big trucks carrying that oil or tearing up the roads. Um, we didn't talk about it on that episode, but you know those big trucks, there's more wrecks, more accidents. Pipelines are safe. Yes, there could be spills, and that's not good. We, we you know we got to clean it up, but it's the best and most effective way to transport hydrocarbons, unless you want to not um, have the benefits of oil and gas, which would be um, catastrophic to you know our economy and our the way our, our way of life. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, looking at it, uh, you know the, the the benefits of of the pipeline. I think uh, it's important to remember. I mean that everything is powered uh, by oil and gas. So what would be the alternative to the pipeline? If you don't want to use the pipeline, right. you you're either going to lose energy or you got to find another method to deliver the energy. Right. So what would be the what would be more optimal than the pipeline? Right. Well, I think you know if you look at it like this, you could say. You know, nuclear gets a bad rap, and right now it's not necessarily economically viable to do it. But nuclear gets a bad rap. It's kind of the same deal. Um, the you know, I, I love my friends on the, envir- the the heavy environmental side, but sometimes if you look at their plans, you just don't see a path to success. And my fear is is that if you don't sit back and go, okay, hey, how do we power this stuff? How do we build these roads? You know, how does these tires, these cars, these cell phones? I'm sitting in the office at R and D Pipe Company right now. I'm looking around. All this stuff comes from oil and gas. It's just it's all related. Um, you could look at nuclear to power a city, and that's a viable option. I think that's a great option. Um, but you got to have oil and gas. And so um, until there's some way that some other source of energy comes online um, that that could replace those things, and that's not even there's nothing that we could even see right now that could do that. So when I say that, it's not like I'm saying, well, you have four options. There's just nothing right now. Yeah, no option. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got the weather that came through, and, and the you know the cold weather that came through. I mean, you either have energy, or you freeze to death. Right. right? You you really don't have much options. It, I mean, everything is powered by this. There's right. really it's it's and it doesn't mean Josh that we shouldn't try. We shouldn't look for new ways. It doesn't mean that I'm energy agnostic. Whatever is the best way to do it, let's do it. And so if it's a remote village in Africa, let's slap some solar panels up. That makes sense. Let's don't let's don't do a bunch of pipelines and build out infrastructure. They don't need that yet. Um, if you're talking about you know Dallas Fort Worth, let's look at you know how can natural gas peaking plants uh, impact that or a nuclear plant or, or, or coal even. It doesn't mean we shouldn't strive to clean those fossil fuels up, but it also doesn't mean we should abandon them either because there is no other option. Um, if you want to live in the wilderness, you want to live in the wild, hey, more power to you. I just don't. It gets hot in Texas. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, Ryan, we have uh, one more question, but I think we might be uh, running low on time. Yeah, I've got, got the uh, boss man time. right here at R&D Pipe Company, and um, I've got some questions for them I'm going to ask. And so we've got one. It is an exciting one. And uh, But, but Steve, I, met, I got to meet Steve yesterday, one of the listeners, and uh, – we are against the clock, and so we'll have to take this next month. And which reminds us, Josh, Ryan at GlobalNGMe.com. Send in your questions. We'd love to hear from you. We had some great questions this time. We have some more, but we won't. We, you know, The more we have, the merrier. And um, it kind of gives us a better sense of what you guys are interested in. If you could clarify the question about the bodies of water, um, maybe, this, maybe it was about spills. I'm just looking at my notes here. It's kind of vague, but um, we'd be happy to answer that. We wanted to get it out there. Hey, we got your question. We just weren't really sure where you wanted us to go with that. So, um, And, hey, let us know. What did we get right? What did we get wrong on today's Q&A? So uh, email me, ryan at globalenergymedia.com. And don't forget our ratings and iTunes, Josh. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And Ryan, uh, before we jump off the rig count, we checked this morning is at a thousand and twenty. It's up one percent from last week. So things uh, like they're starting to tick up. OK, well, we're sitting down with um, CEO, president, owner, founder, man, myth, legend, Ron Underwood at R&D Pipe. Did I miss any of the titles there? No, were, those are all good ones. Those are all I good like ones. Them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got them all there. Well, first of all, thank you for sponsoring the Texas Long Guest Podcast. It's a pleasure to be here today. Um, we have a few questions for you that we kind of figured we would have. You know, Our listeners have sent in questions that we answered, and we have a few questions for you we'd like for you to answer since it is uh, first Friday Q&A. Um, and then we want to hear a little bit about what R&D actually does. So the first question is, you know, people in, in the industry, they're always curious price what's the price going to do so let's talk about the first quarter on the show our take is the first half of the year should be really good the second half it should be okay but we really want to get to the first half what is your thoughts on the price for the first quarter of 2018 uh first i want to welcome you to rd pipe company here in spring texas and uh um and thank you for taking this uh time to to interview us and visit with us Price oil. Price oil today is somewhere in the s- around $65, and uh, we uh, we're comfortable with that price. I think a lot of the drilling programs that uh, the independents, uh, major independents, and major oil companies alike uh, have decided that that number 65 is a good number to go, and maybe even start looking at the shell oils again. So. First quarter this year, I think uh, we'll see an uptick in in prices of oil and activity uh, alike. Uh, the things you have to remember, though, is oil is a volatile, volatile commodity, and a whisper campaign in the Middle East can cause the price of oil to, to plummet. Uh, somebody on Wall Street says that there's going to be a shortage of oil somewhere or there's a shortage reported somewhere price oil goes up so it's all very uh very sensitive uh, product uh, and and the activity associated with that product is uh is very closely related yeah you know i am encouraged though because you are right if you go back to the early 2000s you know if you read a headline fear of war in middle east price skyrockets absolutely we have at least somewhat taken that out of the price because you had the nigerian pipeline blow up a couple years ago you have all kinds of stuff going on the middle east now you know a decade or a decade and a half ago the price would just be it'd be like 200 right now so we have you are right though that you 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 did see some of that towards the end of the year as tensions kind of mounted in the middle east Uh, but it is encouraging on the oil and gas market recap the other show i do um alfonso and i we kind of said that we think the 50 to 70 throughout the year you know kind of a 20 dollars swing it might wti might get up to 70 probably won't go below 50 but kind of a 57 to 65 range but the 20 dollar swing that's a pretty big swing you know it's still still right. it's still pretty volatile yeah and, and and i've often said if you if you don't believe the price of oil can go to 200 dollars a barrel or you don't believe the price of oil can go back to eight dollars a barrel you're not thinking correctly right something can happen to cause the price to jet upward or jet back Oh, oh, you're exactly right, and that's, that's kind of what we closed the show. That was our 2018 predictions, and we said these will be right until that thing that we can't think of happens. Yeah, you know? there you go. <laughs> then we're like, oh, absolutely. We, we absolutely, never would have thought about absolutely. that. You know, one of the things we don't talk about on the show because it's not really pertinent to me is steel prices. You know, and and steel obviously is a big part of the oil and gas industry. One thing I tell the listeners is, you read a headline: Caterpillar stock surges third quarter. That's because oil and gas, okay? Because you know people are written Caterpillar equipment out there, you know, building pipelines and rigs and stuff. But steel prices, something I don't really follow that closely, but I would 
imagine you guys do kind of break down for the listeners, you know, where are steel prices at right now? Are they high or low? And how that would impact, you know, drillers as we go into 2018. Uh, steel prices are, uh, uh, oil country tubulars, of course, are made of steel. And, and many of the products used in the oil and gas industry are made of steel. But in the broad scope of things, the price of oil uh, is not impacted or the drilling activity is not really impacted by the price of, of uh, steel. For instance, steel, of course, the rigs are made of steel, the pipe that's run in the hole is made of steel, but uh, that does nothing uh, in the minds of the people who are deciding whether or not to drill a well. What makes the decision is what the price of oil is. Uh, yes, on a well-to-well basis, when they look at the well economics and the payouts, you, you have to weigh the, the cost of steel because it's one of the most expensive things that go into a well. But overall, steel prices really don't have anything to do with whether they're going to drill oil and gas or not. So when oil, oil and right, gas. so when oil and gas prices are high, it's really a, it's really not going to be a something to consider. They may they, it might fall into a range. Throw out a number here, maybe forty, where steel prices might be looked at, and then it, and then if at twenty, steel prices are, it doesn't matter because it's too low. So yeah. it, it only has to exactly. be a sweet spot for it really matters. Exactly, and, and and it's a capitalized expense too, and it's a one-time expense. They set their surface pipe, they set their their intermediate string, they set their long string, and, and then it's set and, and it's paid for. And, and those that are making the plans to drill these wells are looking at the economics and what the payout is. If uh, if we drill a, a eight million dollar well. How long is it going to take it to pay that out? And then things start coming back and going into the coffers again. So it's uh, it, it, the price of steel really doesn't have a whole lot to do with whether they're going to drill wells or not. The, what it does have to do with is the purchasing department and the materials department of these oil companies are looking to get their best bang for their buck. So they're looking for for companies they'll go out for bid on steel, and, and that there has some has some impact on oil country tubular goods but still overall the the cost of steel is impacted by uh, raw materials uh, metallurgical coal uh, you know who's who's producing it like china just uh, made a decision to shut down 50 percent of their uh, oil and gas uh, their steel mills well they produce 25 percent of the steel in the world so that impacts uh, this price of steel because then it becomes a demand and supply or supply and demand issue. Yeah, you mentioned um, oil country tubular goods there, and that's one of the things that you guys do here. Um, you know, we don't, we don't we don't talk about that so much. Kind of break down what that term means, and you know how you know for you know our listeners are all over the Texas oil and gas spectrum. So you know, you have people that that would deal with this, and some folks who go, "What the heck is an oil country tubular good?" Well, commonly referred to as OCTG uh, acronym, and it's. Um, Oil country tubular good. It, it's it's not line pipe. Oil country. Uh, well, I guess it is. It, we we don't do a whole lot of uh, line pipe work, but uh, oil country tubular goods is, is the pipe that they use to drill and complete oil and gas wells. And uh, there may be. I think uh, there's been recent studies that approximately 250 tons of pipe go in a average oil and gas well, and that's to to uh, take into account the conductor pipe, the surface pipe, the long string, intermediate string, and, and tubing. That's a lot of pipe. It's, it can be a lot of pipe. It can be <laughs> miles and miles and miles of pipe going into one hole. If you think about drilling a well that's uh, 15,000 feet, 
that's three miles. And today they're going down 10, 12,000 feet vertically, and then they're going out horizontally maybe 15,000 feet, or, and even in some cases 20,000 feet, so that when they hit the vertical, they start pushing the pipe out or rotating the pipe out into the horizontals two, three miles. Yeah, it's funny. I saw a story, I don't know if we talked about it on the show or not, a few months back about some company based out of uh, – Tulsa or Oklahoma City, they, they were claiming to have the longest lateral now, and that's kind of the deal, is yeah. you know, who's got the longest lateral, you know, and so it's kind of a, a, a sporting of, of itself, you know, who can get the most effective well and the longest lateral, which means, as you say, there's going to be a lot more of that pipe going to well, go. Do you know what number that was? I, I don't, I, it's been a few months, and so I don't remember. It, it easily could be 20,000 feet, and, and I would think more. Yeah, it know? was a small, it was a small independent producer. I can go back and find the story and say, yeah, I don't know off the top of my head, but it was a uh, it was, um, I remember reading the headline, they were, you know, it's a company you never heard of, you know, type deal. It's like, oh, well, well, good for them. They'll probably get to sell to Exxon or Shell or someone will yeah. come and buy their, their technology now. So um, on the show, we talk about, you know, issues that face uh, the Shell companies, the producers. Um, and so, you know, obviously cash flow and stuff like that is always an issue, heavy, you know, credit, stuff like that. But what are some of the issues that you see that are facing Permian producers that we might read in the headlines in 2018? Um, you know, or might not read, you know, you, you know, folks on the ground who are out there trying to capitalize on a business, um, you know, we always try to give our listeners a business angle. So what are some of the issues that Permian producers might face from your experience in this industry in 2018? Uh, you know, I look back in, uh, in time when uh, I broke out in the, in the business back in the mid-70s, uh, there was uh, rumors then that the Permian Basin was short-lived. I mean, we were we're not going to see much more production come out of that Permian Basin. Well, uh, everything comes from the Permian Basin. Technology, uh, the different type of recovery programs, uh, the lifting programs, however they get it from, from uh, purse to, to surface. So the Permian Basin has a huge, huge hundreds of thousands of wells out there, whether they're uh, primary, secondary, or tertiary type recovery wells. Uh, injection wells, uh, disposal wells, new wells being drilled every every day. So they have a sundry of problems, but the problems that I know most about are their uh, wells that have been brought online, have produced, uh, they've gone into some kind of a secondary recovery or a tertiary recovery. When when, when you introduce these types of recovery programs, you're, you're really uh, asking for it because here comes corrosion. Corrosion mitigation is a major, major uh, problem in the, in the basin. Uh, they um, uh, try to inhibit initially, but uh, once they start moving a lot of volumes, they can't uh, inhibit anymore. Uh, so it's, uh, we, uh, R&D Pipe Company, uh, have uh, turned our focus towards helping in, uh, in corrosion mitigation with internal plastic coatings, spray metals, OD wraps. So even on the backside of these these wells, you have your production strings and your and your long string. On the backside of those, you have standing fluid, which becomes very very corrosive. So they're having an OD coat pipe and, and ID coat pipe to, and they use a lot of corrosion resistant alloys, uh, CRA as, as they refer to them, and uh, we uh, we we participate in all that. I would imagine that um, if you're looking, especially last year when the when the margins were tight, you know, corrosion could be a, you know one of those costs that could could it send a well? Is it that big of an expenditure? Could it send a well that's you know marginal to in the red, or is it just an expense that's a headache? Well, it's it's a uh, I'll just use a, a a typical well uh, in the in the basin that's uh, gone uh, onto a, say a CO2 flood. Uh, 
some of those wells, if you were to run bare tubing in the ground, that bare tubing won't last more than two or three weeks. It'll eat all. It'll eat it up. It'll come out looking like Swiss cheese. Uh, so you put internal plastic coating or some use some other type of corrosion uh, mitigation uh, product. Then, if you extend the life, and, and these products are expensive. They're almost the same cost as the steel pipe itself. Oh, okay. So if you extend the life life of that product twice or the uh, initial uh, steel that's in the well you extend it twice you've you broke even and then but if you extend it two three four times you're, you're way ahead of the game interesting yeah. interesting what's well, something to follow as 2018 rolls ahead well um let's talk a little bit about r d pipe company what made you start this company and you know you touched on a little bit what you guys do where do y'all work tell the listeners more about um about you guys well uh, r d pipe company uh and you uh we talked about it earlier. Uh, started this business in uh, 1998. I actually started in 97, incorporated in 98, and, and every year forward, uh, we've uh, we've experienced success. We've never had a, a bad year. Uh, we've had some some tougher years, but we've uh, had good good years all along. Uh, we uh, are a, a mill representative for uh, different mills here in the United States and and uh, foreign mills, and it's. Uh, you know, when you when you talk about steel mills uh, and, and how to represent them, it's uh, it's becoming uh, pretty uh, interesting as far as how uh, these uh, uh, foreign countries are coming into the United States and, and talking about. You have. Uh, May I go this way? Yes, go ahead. Okay, you have, you have, let's talk about this. Real quick, our listeners, we found, they love hearing about everything. Just, just make sure that they might not be familiar with it, so keep it at a high level for folks like me who, who well, need their help, their hand help. But, yeah. but please, but please tell us. Yeah, yeah, there's, uh, let's look at the, the different countries that are in here. Either buying steel mills, building steel mills, and, and they're building these steel mills uh, to, to manufacture all country tubular goods. You have the French, you have uh, the the Mexicans were here with Laguna. Uh, you have uh, the Koreans here, uh, SEA. You have TPCO, the Chinese here. The Russians are buying mills in here. Uh, the Borsan Monizmen are owned by the uh, by Turkey uh, entity. So you have all these different countries coming into the to either building a mill or sourcing and trying to buy a mill. And that tells you one thing: all these mills are manufacturing oil country tubular goods. So that tells you that. Our oil and gas business is healthy, and there's people wanting to participate in it all over the world. Let me interject there real quick because that's an interesting insight. So one of the things, if I'm understanding correctly, is if you're looking at oil and gas, you're trying to figure out is it healthy or not. I mean, obviously the price and speculators, but one, yeah. of, the, one of the indicators you can look at is interest in building steel mills Here in the U.S. For oil country tubular. For oil country tubular specifically. Yeah. So if people are so if you if you follow that and you say okay, people are pulling out, well. It might be a bad sign, but if all these smart people were investing, it could, I mean, they could be wrong, obviously, but it's still a good, it's, it's a good sign. I can't imagine that many people sure. making those decisions that they're all wrong. Obviously, 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 you wouldn't think that's the case, but um, but so that's that's an interesting indicator. I've never heard anybody break down, and so that's a good way to look at it. Um, countries who are investing here in the U.S. steel, um, and so is this something that you can follow for the listeners who go, okay, I want to kind of follow this at a high level, see what's going on. Is this something that publicly traded companies or private entities, or you know, how would how would someone even begin to research something like that? Uh, I mean, I know you're you're on the ground on the ground boots level dealing with these people day to day, but 
for someone who's not in steel at all, they say, well, I want to kind of put this in my, my, my Google to, you know, my Google search, my Google alerts or whatever to kind of follow along. You know, what would they, what would they look for? I, I would, I would say if you Google foreign, uh, foreign steel or foreign countries involved in the steel making in, in, uh, uh, the United States, well, the, the, the steel mills that they're manufacturing at large are, are ERW mills, which are mini mill concepts. They actually okay. don't make steel. There are several, like Tenaris and TPCO, that are putting in melt shops where they'll be making steel from, from scrap mm-hmm. uh, or raw materials. So they're, there's tremendous, like the TPCO facility that they're putting in now is a $1.8 billion, uh, and they'll be punching billets pretty soon. They got their... Uh, rotary mill in now or rotary furnace in now and they'll soon be uh, piercing their own uh, billets so it's it's pretty exciting to, to see where our industry is going through the through the activity that these foreign countries and, and domestic countries that are, are building new steel mills to provide oil country tribular goods to the industry well that is a fascinating insight someone i've never heard so i'm gonna go and google all the steel mills in texas and abroad and start You'll to be see, surprised start how to, many different countries are in right well. to start to see who owns them you know where's the money yeah. coming from and uh you know kind of set up some google alerts or something to kind of follow along because that's a indicator you're always looking for indicators and so this is one that you can right. check out you know in the oil and gas business as you know you've been in it longer than i have um you know it's it's funny because if you go back to when a few years ago the price started falling, okay, okay, well, if you're on the ground and you're drilling, well, all of a sudden you're kind of in trouble. If you're in midstream, well, it doesn't really impact you until you know a year or two later, and then downstream they have a whole different business model altogether. So, um, you know, we, we try to bring in as much perspectives because we say oil and gas business, it just it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, and there's a lot of different ways to look at it. And so, um, using the steel mill is uh, is an interesting way. And so we'll yeah, be sure to follow who, that. Who's who, and they're not exporting it. They're, 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 they're just, using it right yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. They're just, so, and, and then other indicators are, are we're now able to export oil. Right. And we're able to export gas. And those the, the infrastructure to do those uh, things are, are going to keep growing and growing and growing. Uh, we're now looking to drill offshore Florida. We're looking at Anwar. We're looking at price of oil getting back up to the level to where it's going to make it interesting to drill in the, 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 the uh, shell uh, mm-hmm. place like uh, the the Balkan and mm. then the Eagle Ford mm. and such. So. Yeah, it was, it's good to see because uh, as we started this year, everyone said offshore was dead, but that's actually been proven wrong. You, you had the mass sale of leases in Brazil, um, the Department of Interior here in the States put on um, their, their sales, and people were really excited about that. So uh, I think that, you know, it was a little bit overly pessimistic, myself included on some level, about this year's market, and it looks like next year is setting up to be a nice year. But we thank you so much for coming in answering the questions and being on the show today. And uh, where can people find you if they want to buy some pipe from R&D Pipe Company? Contact us at octg.net or give us a call at 281-355-6795. Okay. Well, Ron, it's a pleasure, and thank you so much for sponsoring the show and having me here today. Thank you. And that is Ron Underwood with R&D Pipe Company. Um, I'm here at their lovely office today. Uh, be sure, again, to follow us on Instagram, Texas Long Gas Podcast. Leave a rating and review on iTunes. It really helps the show out. And folks like Ron, um, who are sponsoring the show, it helps them out as well as they are spending their hard-earned dollars and time to help us get this word out to you guys. Questions, be sure to send me an email, ryan at globalengineering.com, or use the email tab on Instagram. You can get me there as well. Thank you for listening. Until next time, keep climbing.